Welcome to B2B Sales Trends, the podcast dedicated to sales leaders in the B2B space, where we share conversations about innovative and successful sales transformations to keep you up to date on the latest trends. This podcast is brought to you by Global Performance Group. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us again on our next uh, podcast and our new episode of B2B Sales Trends. My name is Harry Kendelbacher. I'm the CEO and founder of Global Performance Group, the company that implements behavior change within organizations uh, to help people deal with stakeholders more effectively, especially professional stakeholders like procurement and other uh, uh, people in their sales processes. Today, I have the pleasure to introduce to you uh, Hang Black. Hang is the uh, VP of Revenue Enablement at Juniper Networks, and I'm so thrilled to have uh, Hang today with us. So, Hang, very welcome to our latest podcast episode. Well, thank you so much for having me, Harry. It's an honor to be here. Great. Let's dive right into it. Hang, I've done a, quite a bit of uh, uh, research about you, and uh, uh, you are a fascinating personality, to say the least, here. And on your LinkedIn profile, I noticed uh, you have an interesting nickname. Uh, it's uh, Black Ops. Can you explain a little bit about that great nickname that you have and why? Absolutely. I'm actually very pleased with it. Um, my father was ex-military, so I've always been um, fascinated and, and quite respectful of military. So in my career, I have had, um, I've had the pleasure of being, having about a decade in engineering, a decade in marketing, and now about a decade in sales Hmm. between my marketing and sales stints. I did, um, I did have a consulting agency and I, consulted for about two years with about 30 to 40 different companies in the sales and marketing space. So anything sales ops, marketing ops, field marketing, uh, sales enablement, you name it, I did it. And the fascinating thing was consulting for so many companies. I learned a lot about small business, large business, um, B2B, B2C. Hmm. And I would get hired in to kind of look at, lay the patient on the table, see what was wrong, um, figure out what we need to rip and replace, figure out what we need to, um, what we need to just fix. So I've got this reputation for coming in, being a whirlwind and very precisely executing on what needed to be done. And so I got the nickname of black ops, which uh, I love so much. I decided to keep uh, what a great nickname, and the explanation especially um, uh, makes uh, makes a great story. Um, oh, wow. And your story also, and I've been doing a little bit of reading uh, up on your story, uh, it is amazing. And it really seems like through the steps, not just within your career, but also your personal life, you've you, you've gained immense resilience. And uh, obviously the podcast is called B2B Sales Trend. So if you wouldn't mind switching a little bit uh, uh, to focus on, on, on the B2B uh, sales arena now and talking of resilience, is that something that sales uh, needs in your opinion or, or a, good, a good sales organization needs? Absolutely. Um, I mean, good sales, you really have to focus on where the customer is in their journey. And let's face it, 
we get a lot of no's and we should get a lot of no's. Our goal is to win over the customer with trust. And that takes persistence and it takes resilience and it takes, um, it takes diligence. So absolutely we need to bring that to the table. I actually think that we are, we're at this point in time where we're shifting the persona of who we're hiring. We're not just hiring relationship managers. We're also hiring data seekers, people who can bring value to the, to the customer by not just, you know, giving them information about why our product solution is great. Let me ask you something, Harry, mm-hmm. when you go to the grocery store, how do you choose your soda between Coke and Pepsi? How do you make your decision? Right. Uh, based on my taste and I guess my experience as well. Absolutely. So both, both vendors are going to tell you, Mr. Customer, I know what your problem is. Here's how I solve your problem. Both are going to present data that's correct. But how do you make sense of that data so that the customer feels good about their experience at the end of the day, that they have made the right decision? I like the term data seekers. I've, I haven't heard that before. Um, that's, that's a brilliant, brilliant way of, of relating to it. Well, it's, just, it's, a, it's a large part of the um, recent study released by Gartner, The Future of Sales in 2025. Yeah. We're talking about, you know, we used to think about Buying has become much more complicated. Therefore, selling has to keep up with the buyer's journey. And if you think about it, the customer doesn't want to know all the sausage making in the factory. They just want to have one seamless experience and feel good about their feel good about their decision. Um, so they have to have that partnership. Most customers actually don't even want to have interactions with their sellers. So now we, once we earn the privilege to be in front of a customer, we have to have the right argument. So um, in that sense, we absolutely have to be resilient in how we approach them, how often we approach them, when we approach them, and what we approach them with. And uh, would you agree with uh, the statement of, and I, I love the fact that you say that, you know, buying has changed so much and we, we and people think that selling has to change too. I, I have a strong opinion in the, in the fact that, you know, in terms of sales skills and how you interact with the client, it, it's, it isn't rocket science. And you shouldn't think about 25 things you're doing. Think about five things you're doing, but make sure you're doing those really, really well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And, and how, do you bring, how do you bring innovative ideas to the table, to the customer, and help them, them to make the, their decision? Interesting. Yes. And indeed, I think now um, buyers have gotten more savvy and sellers have gotten more savvy. And because of both sides of the equation just, you know, being heftier, we have to be able to crowdsource and collaborate better. I much prefer when a vendor is selling, um, is feeling, it makes me feel like I'm making the decision to purchase versus I'm being sold to. I love it when I can have a conversation with them and we can provoke curiosity and crowdsource innovation between the two of us mm. rather than being just talked at. Mm, exactly. One of our customers once said to me, you know, a lot of people talk about putting yourselves in the shoes of the customer. A lot of people do that. Very few people actually do it. 
to really start looking through the lens from the customer's point of view. And I still think that that's one of the key things. If we can really put ourselves into the shoes of the customer, think about how they would want to buy, how would I want to buy if I'm in their shoes? That that has has uh, transformed a lot of our sales processes anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think we just have to have to keep in mind that we need to continue to be innovative. Um, selling is not stagnant. I mean, this past year we've seen that most of the selling motion has been digital and over Zoom, and how you speak over Zoom is very different about than how you would speak in person over over a video conference call, you absolutely want to make sure that your camera is on, even if the customer's is not, because you want to trigger that neuro-linguistic programming and trigger their, um, you know, when you smile, humans have innately have body mimicry. So they internally smile as well. When you're presenting in person, you would want to have some, um, some gesturing and arm movements to make sure that you're keeping the customer engaged. Over video, you want to do that much less so because you want to keep eye contact as much as possible. Mm-hmm. When you're in person, you want to be sort of, you know, in the right in front of the customer. When you're in front of a, when you're recording a video, you want to be a little bit slightly to the left or right so that if they hit the play button, that giant arrow is not in front of your nose. So there are a few tips and tricks we have to keep learning to innovate, again, to interact with the customer the way that they're going to be receiving it. Um, that's really good input, and I'm a little bit conscious now of turning on my ca- on my camera. I have to say, but anyway, <laughs> it's it's really interesting that that you mentioned it. It's one of the questions. Uh, we, you know, the way we do it, we implement our behavior change, uh, the skills and behaviors to deal with people. Uh, we used to do co- everything face to face, just like salespeople, um, and now everything suddenly is virtual. And uh, I always get asked from clients, you know what is different now than it was a year and a half ago? What do people need differently in selling virtually versus uh, selling face-to-face? In terms of skills, I don't think there is a lot of difference. They just need to be much, much more prepared in terms of their skills. They can't wing it anymore. Uh, They have to be precise and really, really good. So when you think about their positioning statement or their questions and all these wonderful things, so you just got to be really good because you don't get a second chance with it. And combined it with all those points that you're making in terms of how to run the call, I, I think that's a, a winning combination there. Absolutely. And, you know, there are some things that definitely haven't changed. Um, you still need to be able to ask dis- good discovery questions. Right. You need to be able to ask good TED questions, you know, tell me, explain, describe that, that leave an opening for the customer. Um, you still need to, to exercise effective listening, um, strong negotiation skills. But some of the things that have changed in the digital world we've actually had to become a lot more personal and human. So if you think about it on video calls, you are getting an impersonal window into everyone's personal world. So you see their children running in the background. You actually have to ask them how the weather is, where they are. Um, You know, you you actually have to ask them a little bit of their home life. You have to respect the hours um, that they're working because it's not like you're setting up a meeting 
where it's clearly, you know, they are in business mode. So, you know, definitely for me, I get extremely irritated when a seller assumes that I can take a call at any time and they, they book it for three o'clock their time, but it happens to be 9 PM my time. You know, it's, that's just not very respectful. So there are things that we have to think about more and differently. We have to do our homework a lot better. You know, if, 44% of millennial buyers do not want to talk to the seller even one time throughout the whole transaction. That means you have to do your homework and contact them over LinkedIn digitally with some thought leadership to hook their interest in the first place before you earn the right to that very first meeting. And uh, the traditional salesperson just doesn't know that and just just not used to it. So they really have to get out of their comfort zone and communicate in that different way, right? Right. Yes, and I feel like I'm giving away my secrets a little bit, but that's why, you know, with oh, Jennifer. I'm liking it. I'm liking it. <laughs> this, this podcast is about sharing ideas and making people better. And yeah. that's 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 the idea of it. Talking of that, you know, you, you've been you've been obviously a, a super pro in the sales enablement space and 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 uh, with your role as VP of revenue enablement. Tell me a little bit what what were sort of the key changes that you have made to your team sales processes and approaches to align uh, with the buyer's journey, so to speak? Well, as I mentioned, you know, at Juniper, we actually think of sales enablement as a competitive advantage. We always look around corners. So the sales enablement, I'm planning for my sales teams. I'm looking at sales trends from the different um, analysts and working towards, you know, what does the future look like tomorrow? Um, So what we think about is that sales is no longer um, just a, a, just a, a uh, single interaction, right? Sell, 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 transact, and then exit. It's no longer a linear transaction. Once you, you've got the, you've got the first contact from marketing, and then you nurture them, and then you ha- you get a conversation. You extend it to your to your uh, to your technical team. And then once you sell, we've got we've got to make sure that they've got a good experience through the procurement process, through the legal process, and then we hand off to global services, and then we continue into upsell, cross sell, and renewal. So there's what we call an infinity curve where the customer can enter and exit out at any given point in time. And again, how do we make their experience such that it's seamless so they don't see the sausage making behind all of those different transactions and they continue with us throughout their life cycle and return back in at any entry point. So we've looked at our processes and as far as, you know, how do we modernize as much as we can? How do we digitalize as much as we can automate as much as we can so that the human interactions are extremely smart, concise, and thought provoking and keeps the customer coming back. Now with all the automation, so fascinating and, uh, and the, the, the digital sort of, uh, you know, environment that we're in, you know, there's an old school saying that people buy from people, right? Um, what in your opinion is the level of importance still of, of that human interaction uh, next to all the automation and digitalization and so forth? Well, people buy from people, but again, the interaction is different. Mm. You know, 
30 years ago, we didn't have the internet and that has absolutely changed, um, how we, how we ingest information. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell around the dinner table, the generation that people are in, because you have one group that barely uses email at all. You've got another group that uses Facebook, another group that uses Instagram and another group that uses TikTok. So we're still interacting with each other. We're just interacting with each other very differently. Mm. So that's what we have to account for. How do we transact with our customers where they want to live? Um, A customer, you know, we were talking about the Gartner report earlier and how Mm. over time we've seen that the, that the buying committee has grown quite a bit. Mm. We now see, I would actually argue that the selling committee has to grow quite a bit. And what I mean by that, when I'm interested in a vendor, I definitely look them up in their digital space. I looked up their LinkedIn profile of my, the seller. I look up the company and their innovation in the solution, but also what does the C staff personally stand for as far as social values. So when I'm buying, I'm actually looking at the many, many personas from the peop- of the people I'm buying from. But I'm doing all of that asynchronously. Mm-hmm. So I'm still buying from people. I'm just doing it, you know, in stealth mode, asynchronously, so that when I get in front of them, the buying team meets the selling team. We all already know who we are, what we stand for, and what we're selling. Interesting. Interesting. We are actually shifting to to an uh, interesting model. Essentially, we're in the uh, sales training uh, uh, industry and sales training um, environment where with with some uh, niche programs like uh, how do you deal with procurement and so forth. Um, It's so interesting. You know, a few years ago, referring to what you said, the the you know, how to run a sales skills workshop or negotiation skills workshop, all these wonderful things was one thing. And nowadays, you know, information is everywhere. Everybody, everywhere people can consume the content. It's not about negotiation skills anywhere. Type it into YouTube, you get 20,000 videos, right? It's not a lack of content. It's not a lack of information. What I really believe is it's a lack of how people are doing it well. And uh, how do you move away from this consumption uh, frenzy to let's just get our people to do uh, and execute the content well? It's not, uh, it's not about consuming it. It's about doing it, I guess. Uh, that's what it comes down to. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And again, if we go back to the Gartner um, report, what they're talking about is sense making. There's, there's, there's not only a lot of information out there, there's too much information out there. Mm -hmm. So how do I weed through all that and help my customer weed through all of that? I recently um, listened to Daniel Pink's masterclass and Mm -hmm. I loved it so much. I listened to it twice and he has this great analogy in there. Access used to mean information but now information is commoditized so if you think about it at one point in time we used to go to the doctor and whatever the doctor said was biblical you know we trusted them completely then when information became um readily available 
you would go into the doctor's office of, I want this medication. I've heard this, um, this medical report. And the doctors would be very annoyed about it. They're not used to that. Today, because we've had many years behind us, today, when people come in with information, I want to take this medication, um, you know, I disagree because of this report I read, the doctor can actually said, can actually help them with that data. Yes, that report was accurate two years ago, but here's another report that's recently come out that's, that, that is better to refute or is more relevant, is more recent. Yes, this medication may work well, but for your particular situation, it may not work as well because you've got these other medical issues that you've got to counteract. So in that way, the doctor is sense-making, and we essentially have to do that with our customers as well. So how do we provide ongoing nuggets of value? How do we guide them to the right decision based on all the knowledge and all the senses they have basically already consumed and that they know. Yes. And then, and then, you know, as getting back to people buy from people, this is where it takes the human to go in and do the homework, right. you know, with the augmentation of AI, but to do the homework to say, yes, these here's Coke and here's Pepsi. Here's why you might like one more than the other based on your very personal profile and very personal use cases. Hmm. Hmm. How has, obviously, COVID has changed a lot of things um, uh, in the buying and selling work uh, world. And um, <clears throat> what, in your opinion, uh, in terms of buying behaviors, were the top three that have changed in the last few months? Um, I think people, I don't know about you, Harry, but I have never been more simultaneously busy and bored, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so people are spending a lot of time on their computers. Mm -hmm. They are doing a lot more of their own research. Um, and as I mentioned, they're going to the diligence of researching, not just the individual salesperson that they're talking to, but the other um, but the other personas, and I actually think that the way the world has been going in the last four years, people also really want to understand a company's social values. I actually think that's more important than, than we are giving credit for. Um, diversity and inclusion has become really, really significant. And when I look at a company, I'm also looking, looking at their, um, their, their diversity and inclusion practices, not just because it's the right thing to do, because it, it's an indicator to me of how innovative that company is going to be. Yes, their solution may work for me today, but will it work for me tomorrow? Because they're, they're crowdsourcing from all different areas of, you know, of, uh, of thought. Um, how creative will they be? So for me, again, I'm not just buying today's product. I'm buying, you know, the potential of um of what tomorrow's product may look like you mentioned the different practices you, that you've seen in the diversity and inclusion space in terms of uh, with different companies what we find a lot is <clears throat> um that that it's it's really important to implement a culture within organizations and that's difficult to do I'm curious to find out what practices have you seen in other organizations in regards to diversity and inclusion that you you think they're outstanding? 
Well, I think it's really important that um, with diversity and inclusion, that it's not just a program, mm. that people don't just talk the, the talk, they actually walk the walk. And right. what I mean by that is to question, is to make sure that everyone challenges their own unconscious biases. I actually, because I'm a diverse woman, um, diversity begets diversity. So my teams, I attract a lot of diverse talent. I actually have to make a conscious effort to ensure that I hire white males Mm -hmm. to make sure that I still have that cognitive diversity. So I will often challenge executives who's in your three to five, you know, your circle of three to five confidants. Do you have representation? And if the answer is no, or there's not enough people, then I challenge them to go find that pipeline. Well, I don't want to do that because I'm looking for best talent. Okay. But what is your definition of best talent? Does it include some unconscious bias in there? You know, there are a lot of people who are biased towards certain universities. Um, I would challenge people that there are a lot of good students from other universities that are just as great. And they, they might have, they might've gone through a little bit more adversity, which means that they have to be more resourceful and creative. Um, so, you know, making sure you've got that, that question, everyone's inner circle is one. The second thing is who's leading your diversity program. Is it a diverse person? Is your executive sponsor for that person someone who can translate that human experience? You know, I often walk into diverse uh, diversity programs where the executive sponsor is a white male, and it's a little bit uncomfortable because where is he getting his feedback from? Is he in an echo chamber that people are trying to accommodate him and be nice to him? Um, whereas, does he have someone that can actually translate to him the human experience? So. You know, I always say JFK would never have been successful without an MLK. They were equal partners in that equation. Mm. And, you know, the third thing would be to make sure we talk about, there's been a lot of talk about mentorship and sponsorship. That's on a very individual basis. And that's really, really great. But I also think we need to start talking about allyship and role modeling. Do you have people who will help bring up the rest of the class. So if we talk about, again, JFK, he wasn't just advancing MLK. He was advancing a whole class and supporting a whole class of people. And then do we have role models? Do we celebrate them? Do we have enough people of color? Do we have enough women at the top? And when we do, do we celebrate them more because there's less of them so that people have something to look up to and something to aspire to? So in essence, the three steps are key leadership from the top where the initiative really needs to, uh, uh, is is a must do. To implement the second point, the culture, so that it becomes ingrained in the organization itself. And in order to accomplish that, you really need the leaders on 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 a manager's level to support and lead with example there. And there are some three big challenges right there with this topic, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do think we need to um, stop being afraid of tokenism, Mm. which is hiring one person, you know, to kind of tick the box 
we have to be not afraid of that because all studies show that you don't actually get good behavior until you have at least three. So without that first token, you're never going to get to two to three to make sure that there's, there's, there's a, a balance of power in conversation. Mm, I love it. Absolutely. We've got a, we've got a piece that we call constructive challenge that we implement within leaders and teams. And, and our line with it is first, you've got to challenge yourself to earn the right, right to challenge others. And That's then right. together you can challenge the status quo. That's right. And, uh, and that, that sort of saying that goes on so many different levels, um, uh, which is really interesting. Um, let's switch gears here. And I want to hear about uh, your book. Um, I have read uh, all the posts, not all of them. That will be not telling the truth. I've read some of them over LinkedIn. Uh, you've got a new book out, Embracing Your Edge. Um, I've looked it up. It is available even on German and Austrian Amazon. Uh, very interesting. And uh, tell us about the book and uh, what made you write it? Um, well, thank you for asking. I'm actually uh, pleasantly surprised that we've actually sold into uh, the UK, German, French markets, including um, as, and, as, and we've reached as far as South Africa. Um, so for me, I wrote it because in my career, it was just way more difficult to climb than it needed to be. Some were external forces and some were internal limiting behaviors. And I thought about um, a lot of the diversity books that are written out there or how to succeed. So many of those books were written from a different perspective. They weren't written for me because they weren't written by people like me. Um, so again, we talk about role modeling. Being a woman brings a unique experience. Being a person of color brings a unique experience. Being an immigrant brings a unique experience. And all of those layered on top of each other just made things a lot more difficult when you do not have access. So the way I describe it, minority just means the smaller group of people in the room, full stop. Right, right. Right? right, right. So in certain communities, in certain engineering communities in the Bay Area, a white man may very likely be a minority in the room. Right. Um, there, you may have, uh, you may have schools and classes where a privileged person is a minority in the room mm. or, uh, or non-privileged uh, or more likely a non-privileged person is the minority in the room. So I want to challenge how we think about what a minority is. A minority is simply the lesser group, a smaller population of people in the room. Now, why I bring that up is a lot of it also has to do with access. When you're in the majority of the room, you have more access to people, you have more access to resources, you have more access to voice. Hmm. So let's talk about it in terms of access to voice and access to choice. Hmm. I wrote that book because I grew up as an immigrant. I grew up um, in, the, in a very uh, black and white world in the deep South. So um, I didn't belong to either of the, either class. Um, as I went into, you know, I grew up between um, the Eastern philosophy of authoritarianism and a Western philosophy of autonomy. 
Um, so because I was never included or excluded, I had the gift of observation and the gift of kind of pooling the best out of all worlds. As I went into engineering, I started to see more color, but less gender diversity. As I started to move up the ranks, I saw much less color diversity. So um, the road was so difficult because people didn't understand me. And a lot of the coaching that I'd gone to or a lot of the books that I read is meant to make people look more like white men. And it's not malicious. It's just the perspective that it was written from. So I wanted to create an experience for more people like me um, so that they can feel uplifted and heard, that they wouldn't feel so alone. At this point in my career, I've had 30 years of reading books, going to conferences, um, having personal therapy, going to executive coaching. How do I give that gift back to other people to a much younger version of myself who doesn't have that access to voice and choice. Um, you know, and I, and it's written with a lot of very personal stories, but I, because I do believe that as women and immigrants, our, our personal decisions are highly have a, have a much higher impact to our professional career and our Mm -hmm. careers decisions in our careers have a very high impact to our personal lives. So it's written with the perspective to, you know, give a gift to the people behind me, but also to the majority to help them understand us a little bit better. Because again, in general, I don't believe that anyone is coming in with malicious intent. I think we just need to do a better job of understanding each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's really well said. I love it. I watched an interview with uh, with you um, on on YouTube um, in preparation for this, and um, and there was one quote that you've mentioned that I absolutely uh, loved, which is, "I can always walk through the fire and emerge better." Tell me a little yes. bit about that that statement, and uh, and what, what's your thinking behind that. Well, you talked about resilience earlier and, you know, I'm a child of war and grief. Mm. My family made critical decisions, um, you know, very, very quickly. So I've learned that, um, you don't have forever to make a decision. I, I have had so much life, um, you know, hurdles thrown at me in life that, I'm, I'm not, I don't, you know, not not much scares me except for stagnation. Right. Um, Everything that I do, I see that when I'm afraid, when Mm. I'm not authentic, I'm not the best version of myself. Mm. When I challenge myself, when I push through, I can always emerge. um, The Phoenix can always emerge from the fire. Mm. But otherwise, you're just standing on the side, watching the fire and getting singed. <laughs> it's a mindset. It's a mindset that that you can't pick up. It's a mindset that you you have to work hard for. Uh, I believe, and that's why I, I really really like the uh, the, the quote that uh, I can always walk through fire and emerge better. And you're right; it has absolutely to do with resilience for it. 
Uh, I love it. Uh, you are a true thought leader. Uh, wow. I'm, I'm almost gobsmacked. It doesn't happen very often, I'll tell you that. Um, what other great projects do you have coming up? And uh, anything you want to share with the audience on the great things that you're currently doing? Um, a lot of what we're doing, again, is around um, is around digitalization and, and, and really how do we use um, AI to augment the human experience? Um, so we're looking at what we can automate and, and, and what we can pull from that automation in order to give our sellers more access to not only information, but the right information at the right time. Um, and how do we bring the customers into that journey as well so that they, um, are part of the collaborative process? Because again, I truly believe that in, in all aspects of our lives, whether we're selling, whether we're living, that we are truly better together. And you got to bring a certain level of uh, authenticity and uh, vulnerability, which, by the way, I also nicked from that interview that you did, <laughs> to, uh, to the table here to, to have a, a true dialogue with the customer. I love it. Fabulous. Yes. Hank, you've been an absolute superstar uh, in the last half an hour. Uh, let me uh, personally thank you uh, for your time, for uh, but even more for your uh, uh, sharing your incredible story. You're a true thought leader. Um, thank you so much for sharing with uh, your expertise and your opinions with uh, our podcast, B2B Sales Trends. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thanks, everybody. This was Harry Kendelbacher from Global Performance Group on our podcast, uh, together with uh, Hank Black, the VP of Revenue Enablement at Juniper Networks. Thank you so much. Tune in to our next episode. Uh, bye-bye.